uh, stand in the uh, pulpit here at the pastor's invitation. Um, I, I don't know how uh, most of you don't start rapture practice during I'll Fly Away. You know what the rapture is, right, in the Word of God? Jesus is going to come back and get his church. We'll be raptured up. It says we'll be caught up with him in the air. Um, and uh, that's coming. Uh, that song, I'll Fly Away, I think Paxton uh, did it today uh, for me as well as obviously because of the Lord's leadership. It's an exciting song. It's hard for me uh, not to embarrass my family even, even further than normal and, uh, and turn it loose on that song, but I, I do love that. We used to actually, talk about rapture practice, we used to, uh, you ever see in the clouds, you're outside and in the clouds sometimes around here, there'll be a shaft of sunlight come through. You ever seen that? And it looks like it comes all the way down to the ground. And uh, my, my youth pastor in high school, when I was a, a teenager, he used to call that a rapture shoot. And uh, you, you would see our youth group, if we were out, we, we played ball most Sundays together, softball or football or basketball or something at the park. And when that would happen, you would see us all run over there to the rapture shoot and try to jump up in the rapture shoot and get going. And it never worked. And I'm sure we looked like a bunch of morons, but when you're teenagers, you don't really care if you look like a moron that much, do you? Uh, unless you're in front of your friends. So I don't want to talk to you today about, about morons or uh, maybe one of these days we ought to talk more about heaven. That might make us a little more excited during that song, you know, if we, if we had a good biblical understanding of actually what waits for us out there. But today I want to talk to you uh, briefly, hopefully, on six keys to becoming a contagious Christian. Six keys to becoming a contagious Christian. Now this is not like the, the landmark book that Bill Hybels and Mark Middleberg wrote. A great book, I'd love to recommend that, Becoming a Contagious Christian. It's not really about that today. It's similar in a way, but that book is primarily about starting a spiritual epidemic of hope and enthusiasm and spreading the gospel in your life and in, in church. In fact, they went on to write a book that Middleberg primarily led the authorship on called Becoming a Contagious Church. And Jeff, I don't know if you remember, we first came here six years ago, uh, I think this Sunday, uh, uh, six years ago, and Jeff and I had been uh, friends in the community, but we started to have lunch even that week after that. And I said, have you read Mark Middleberg's book, Becoming a Contagious Church? And he said, of course, that he had. And I said, I, th I think that's what God's doing with you right now. There's a contagiousness about the church. And I don't know, how many of you were here six years ago? Could I see your hands? If you remember, we were talking about this this week with Tommy. If you remember six years ago, our, our music was struggling from week to week. You remember that? We didn't have Paxton yet. We, didn't, we, didn't, we had several guys that worked in and out. Boy, they tried their best, but sometimes it was, it was hard, wasn't it? To, I remember sitting out there just praying for Jeff. Lord, in spite of the music today, I pray <laughs> that you would speak to us through our pastor. But it, with, even without this quality of, of technology and the quality of gifted musicians, and, and the biblical exhortation, you know what exhortation is in the Bible, right? I call it biblical cheerleading. That, that's one of Paxton's gifts in my observation. Even without that, God was building a contagiousness here in our church, wasn't he? Some of you that were here six years ago and beyond that, remember that contagiousness that started before the elements of quality caught up in our worship and in, completely in our facilities. Remember that. What I want today is for you to consider... Adopting more of these keys in your personal life to be a contagious Christian as an individual. 
We haven't lost that contagiousness. But the more we, the more we focus on and think on, how can I more and more in my life live in such a way that people are attracted to Jesus? That's the question. How can I, if I'm going to be contagious, if, to take the, the theme, the, the thesis of Middleburg and Heibel's book, if I'm going to be a part of the epidemic of hope and enthusiasm for the gospel, how can I live in such a way that I'm constantly growing in the contagiousness and the attractiveness of my faith in the Lord? I invite you to go to Acts 4, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. We're going to see six, six keys from Scripture in that contagiousness. Maybe you've lost it even. I used to have a definition when I was a youth pastor for backsliding. We don't use that word much anymore. But, you know, 30 years ago we did when I was a teenager and then when I became a youth pastor. We don't use the term backsliding anymore. How many of you have never heard of the term backsliding? Can I see your hands? You've never heard of it. Yeah. The younger folks, even from Dr. Dan on down to the corner over here. Dr. Dan, you're young. That's awesome. Um... Backsliding. I used to say it's this. If you were closer to Jesus at some point in your past than you are right now, then you're backsliding. Some of you thought it was the old hymn. We used to sing it this way. I was sinking deep in sin. Whee! You know, that was backsliding. I'm not talking about that. It's not it. Maybe you're in a condition where you were closer to Jesus at some point in the past than you are today. This message is for you as well. To begin to have, again, the contagiousness, the attractiveness of Christ through your life. I'm going to give you some practical, some practical keys on how to, how to make that happen. Acts 4, verse 13. Um, in verse 12, you get that classic line where Peter says, There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And then look at verse 13. And the, and the Pharisees, the crowd, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and notice this phrase, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The first key to continuing to be a contagious Christian, or to getting that contagion back, is a passion for his presence, a passion for his presence. Now, that's easy in here. In here with Paxton, Pastor Jeff stepping up to the pulpit, primarily, and, and, and Tommy and I and others filling in, Marty and others. It, it's easy in here. I, I think it is. It's easier than by yourself. However, if you don't have a passion for his presence, and I'm not talking about perfection in a 30-day month that you hit 30. Maybe, but I'm talking about a consistent, regular, daily passion for his presence. When you're in here on Sunday, you're probably going to be faking it. Now, I I, I, have a, I have a master's degree and, and almost a doctorate in faking it, okay? I went to seminary twice. I've got hundreds of hours of practice in going through the motions. And I love my education. But I grew up in the church. I've been, I've been in church since nine months before November 29, 1966. My mama started taking me to church the day I was conceived. And we went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If they had Tuesday night visitation, we were there. If there was a revival, we were there every time. We were literally that old phrase, every time their doors are open. How many of you grew up that way? Yeah. And I'm thankful that I grew up that way. 
But if we're not careful, a passion for his presence can be something that we think we only experience on the Lord's Day on Sunday, and it needs to be a daily habit, amen? Notice the phrase there. The phrase, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were unschooled, ordinary men. You can be schooled and extraordinary on your own mind, but unless you get with Jesus, unless you get with Jesus, you're not going to be contagious in your faith. You have to get with him. Now, will the Lord speak to your heart? Yes. Will the Lord speak to your mind? Yes. If you're not sure what he's saying, open this right here, and he will give you a word every time you open it. 2 Timothy 3 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. All of it. Now, some of it's more confusing than others, but it's all profitable and will build you up. If you want to get in his presence, get in the word, get still before him, get with Jesus. The other side of that is true as well. There's a scriptural passage that says to the Pharisees, Jesus said, you diligently search the scriptures. He's like, that's a good thing, but here's what he said. You diligently search the scriptures, and yet he said, you refuse to come to me to have life. You've got to get with Jesus a passion for his presence. Number two, the second key is this. Go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, a familiar passage in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we'll pick up in verse 36. Verse 36 in Matthew chapter 9. When he, that's Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers, to send out laborers into his harvest field. The second key is this. You've got to have a deep craving to reach the lost. You've got to identify, you've got to identify with the craving of your soul that God put within you. If Jesus is in your soul, there is a craving in there. You just may be too busy and have too much distraction too much noise in your life to be in touch with that craving to reach the lost. Jesus didn't say, I came to teach you how to worship, although we learn that from his life. He didn't say, I came to teach you how to pray, although the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He didn't say, I came to to teach you how to minister to the least of these, but he goes on to say that when we do it unto the least of these, we've done it unto him. Watch this. His very definition of why he came to this earth is this. He said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. If Jesus, the heart of Jesus is a craving to reach the lost, and you want to be a contagious Christian, you want to be someone that attracts other people to him, if he's in your soul, you need to get in tune with a deep craving to reach the lost. Notice in the text, first he says you've got to open your eyes. You've got to open your eyes and see the lost. It says in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he saw the crowds. Sometimes we can get get so focused on ourselves and so focused on what we get out of church and so focused on our own spiritual growth that we forget to look out there in the world and see the lost. Jesus saw the lost. It's one thing to see them, but notice what else. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. He had compassion on them. Sometimes we see the lost and we go, boy, I'm glad that's not me. Thankful the Lord did a work in my heart. He raised me in a family that went to church every time the doors were open. Man, I'm thankful for that. Too bad for you. He didn't go, he didn't look at the crowds and see the harassed and the helplessness of the crowds and say, man, that's, 
you know, that's just too bad. It says he had compassion on them. You've got to open your eyes and see the loss. You've got to get in touch with that deep craving to reach them. But you've got to open your heart and care. And then it's something entirely, not just to see the lost, not just to have a heart for their condition of lostness and the needs of their life, but you've got to open your mouth. Notice what it says. Ask the Lord of harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out laborers into his harvest field. Now, how many of you ladies that have had babies identify anything fun with the word labor? It's not, it's not a real exciting term, is it? Maybe you could educate the rest of us with the craving part of that. Guys, did your wives just, when they were pregnant, just want some of the most bizarre foods that they're, and combinations that there ever were? Isn't that weird? Why is that? I asked our first doctor, our first OB doctor, I said, why is that? He said, well, the simple term is this. That woman's body and her mind know subconsciously what that baby needs to be healthy, what she's lacking, and she will crave the things that she's missing in her nutrition to feed that baby what that needs. Isn't that cool? We've got to have a deep craving to reach the lost. We've got to open our eyes, open our hearts, but we've got to open our mouth and share. I think I told this to the students, this story. There was a little, there was a little, uh, a little timid little man, and he wanted, he wanted to reach the lost. And boy, he was praying for divine opportunity. He wasn't just studying the gospel and studying the four spiritual laws. He was begging God to give him a divine opportunity to share the gospel. And he's in a city where he took public transportation. He's on the bus one morning, and he's sitting down, and this big, giant, scary-looking biker gets on the bus, And he comes and sits right down by this little bitty timid man. And he puts his face in his hands and he just begins to weep uncontrollably. And the little man goes, sir, are you okay? Did something happen to you? And the big scary looking biker dude who's weeping his eyes out says, I'm lost. And I need somebody to introduce me to Jesus. And the little man stopped and prayed. And he said, Lord, is this a sign? It... it, (laughs) Yes, it's a sign. It doesn't have to get to that level. God desires for us as contagious, attractive Christians to have a deep craving for the lost and to open our eyes and open our hearts and then open our mouths and share. There it is, number one, those who are counting cracks in my voice. I found out some of the teenage boys when I preach, count the number of cracks in my voice when I preach. I'm not the world's largest seventh grader. I just have no idea why that happens sometimes, other than allergies and whatever. Number four. Number four, that's one. Number four. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Excuse me. Number three. I should have said number next, right? And then I would be right either way. Number three. Listen to this from the Old Testament. The Chronicler said in in the first book of the Chronicles, chapter 29, verse 17, listen to this. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. Listen to Proverbs 10, 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. And now go to 1 Corinthians 10, 31. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. There's a lot going on in 1 Corinthians 10, actually in the entire book of 1 Corinthians. I, I knew a guy, had a buddy who, uh, a pastor, I was his youth pastor, he did his dissertation on his PhD in New Testament on the book of 1 Corinthians. And I tried to read it one time, 
and I made it about three minutes, and I fell asleep. It was really, it was really, it was really hard to stay awake. But go to, go to 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31. There's a lot going on here. But notice what he says in conclusion. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Here's the third key. Here's the third key. A sincere integrity. A sincere integrity. Did you know, I don't know if you listen to Dave Ramsey. I know Lisa and Sean have been taking their home-based life group through uh, some Dave Ramsey stuff. Um, he recommends a book, and I don't remember the author of the book, but it's called The Millionaire Next Door. The Millionaire Next Door. And they, they, uh, somebody researched and, and quizzed and surveyed just dozens, maybe hundreds of millionaires, just average millionaires, not inherited millionaires, uh, not anybody like that, something that fell in their lives, but somebody that just naturally... Uh, or, or just, just on their own became a millionaire. You know what the number one characteristic, you know what the number one characteristic they discovered in the life and in the mind and the decision making of those millionaires and the millionaire next door? You know what the number one was? It was integrity. It was integrity. You know what the number one characteristic of Christians ought to be <laughs> in our actions, in our decision making? It, it ought to be integrity. A sincere integrity. Number next, number four. Number four, now to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We're picking up some speed here. We're going to camp on number 6 just for a minute and, uh, as we wind down. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The fourth key is this, down-to-earth humility. Down-to-earth humility. By humility, you, you, you'll get this from, you got this from the scripture. By humility, I don't mean, aw, shucks. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not that good of a guy. You help somebody, you serve somebody. Somebody says they enjoy your conversation or hanging out with you or whatever. It, it's not that, aw, shucks, you know. It, it's really these verses about the life of Jesus, but in the contagious believer. It's really these verses. Considering others above yourself. It, it doesn't mean you don't consider yourself and take care of yourself. It means that you consider others. You consider others in this down-to-earth humility better than yourself. You put their needs first. Listen, if you're having difficulty in a relationship, I was reminded of this this week. If you're having difficulty in a relationship, there's some conflict. Here's a phrase to remember. This may be the only thing you get today. I hope, this, I hope that you'll take this home. If you're having difficulty in a relationship with a child or a coworker or your spouse, here's the phrase. Love them the most when they deserve it the least. Love them the most when they deserve it the least. Because isn't that how Jesus loved us? While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Love them the most when they deserve it the least. That's putting others before you down to earth humility. The fifth key, the fifth key is this. Go to Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 9. Jeremiah chapter 23. Go ahead. I'll wait for all four of you to turn in your Bibles. Remember in the old days when you'd hear this? Remember that? I gotta admit, I use my iPad most of the time. It's just a click and a swipe. It's not as it's not as cool sounding to the preacher, right? Because you can't hear it, can you, Pastor Jeff? 
You can't hear it like those pages. Number, the fifth key is this, it's brokenness. But listen to, the, I, I did a complete word study in the entire Bible this week on the idea of brokenness. And most of the time it's, 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 talking, about, it's talking about a thumping from the Lord. But, but notice this here, I think this gets to it, even though it's a little awkward. Jeremiah 23, 9, the prophet Jeremiah. My heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I am like a drunken man. He didn't say I am a drunken man. He said I am like a drunken man. Like a man overcome by wine. Watch this. Because of the Lord and his holy words. It's sort of like Isaiah in the first chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah writes in the sixth year of the reign of King Uzziah. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. God let Isaiah see him into his throne room. And you know what Isaiah's response was? Woe to me. That's an ancient phrase that says, I need to get the heck out of here quick, all right? Woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, from a people of unclean lips. He saw into the very throne room of God. He may have, I don't believe in transcendental meditation, but he, God spiritually at least, and in a vision at least, but maybe in some way only God can do that we can't describe. It's ineffable. There's no human description. He, maybe he got into the throne room of God and he said, I'm messed up. I'm undone. If, if I don't get out of here quick, I'm going to die. Jeremiah says, I'm overcome. There's a brokenness because of the Lord and because of his holy words. Go to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. In verse 19. Acts 3 and verse 19. The Apostle Peter's preaching here in Acts chapter 3. And he gets, he gets to the other piece in my estimation of the biblical idea of brokenness. Jeremiah said, my heart is broken within me. As I consider the Lord in his words, my heart is broken within me. I'm trembling and falling down like a drunken man because of, because of the honest evaluation of myself in front of my Lord in light of my Lord. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, the Apostle Peter says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, brokenness in the Bible then is really repentance. When I recognize the Lord in his words and in light of my, the nastiness of my sin in the presence of God, that's brokenness and repentance. Here's what the word repent really means in the New Testament. You ready for the Greek word? It's metanoia. Metanoia. We, we, we think of the concept of repentance to be I'm going this way in sin and I turn and go the other way. How many of you are familiar with that? Yeah. But the word repent is the Greek word metanoia and it literally means to change your mind. Change your mind. Watch this. If I'm going this way towards sin and somebody says, that's bad for you, you're going to get caught. I might go, ooh, that's not good. But then I'm going to come right back to it, aren't I? I'm going to be, the word of God says, it's not me. I'm going to be like a dog returning to my vomit, right? I didn't say that. Word of God says it. If I'm going this way and I just turn without biblical repentance, I'm going to turn back again pretty quick, right? Watch this. To repent, change your mind. I'm going this way, and I say, my sin in light of the holiness of God is a mess and nastiness, and there's a brokenness in me, and that leads to a change of my mind, and then that leads to a change of my behavior. Why? 
Because if you change the way a person act, uh, th- thinks, you change the way they act. I start to think like God, the things of the world make me sick instead of bring me pleasure, amen? There's a brokenness in the contagious believer. A brokenness. And then last is this. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. The sixth key to becoming a contagious Christian, remaining a contagious Christian. The sixth key, Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 18. Pay attention here because we're almost done. Be very careful then, the Apostle Paul writes, how you live not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You ready? What's the Lord's will? It says it in a variety of ways, but here it is in this text. Understand what the Lord's will is. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The sixth key is this. It's Spirit-filled faith. Spirit-filled faith. Now watch this. If you were in my Sunday school class several years ago, we spent some time talking about this. But when it says, instead, be filled with the Spirit, let me give you a little bit of the grammar there. That word, pleruste, which is translated, be filled. Pleruste is translated, be filled, and be filled with what? Actually, not what. With whom? The Holy Spirit. That word there, listen, is the grammar. It's in the second person plural, present passive imperative. Second person plural, what's that? This is the Apostle Paul saying, y'all. Y'all. Now, when I lived in Florida and preached from this text, I had to explain what the word y'all is and how you spell it, actually. In Florida, South Florida, they didn't even know how to spell y'all. How many of you got a grip on the word y'all? Anybody? Okay, we kind of know, don't we? I got some co-workers at our terminal in Alabama and, and southern Louisiana. They, they know the word y'all. We say it all the time, and nobody makes fun of us when I'm in those terminals, right? This is y'all. So look at it again. It says, second person plural, y'all. It's present. The the voice of the verb is present action. So y'all right now, and and, and the mood is passive. So y'all choose right now to put yourself in a position, passive, where somebody else can do the acting. What's the acting? And by the way, it's an imperative. It's a command. So the Apostle Paul says, Michael Carter, and anybody else reading this text, put yourself, I command you as a believer who wants to be contagious, I command you to put yourself in a place where Almighty God can fill you with His Spirit. And by the way, it's a participle, so that means to keep on doing it, right? Now listen, we're not going to spend a lot of time here. We're not going to have a theological discussion on how you get to this point. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit at salvation, somewhere in between something else. But can I tell you something? No matter how you get to being filled with the Holy Spirit, if you don't get here in your daily life and be filled with Him, you are not going to be a contagious Christian, right? If you're not walking in such a way that on a daily basis, you put yourself in a position where God Almighty fills you with your spirit. And for me, I've got I've to confess all the sin and junk in my life since the last time I asked, me to, asked him to fill me with his spirit. 
I've got to submit myself to him. I have a whole discipline in my life to get to that point. It doesn't matter how you take the theological steps to get here. Watch this. You have to take the behavioral steps to, on a daily basis, be a spirit-filled faith in your life as a, as a contagious Christian. You have to get there. And only he can do it. He's the one that will daily fill you up. If Jeff's out of town or your spiritual mentor is out of town and you can't get filled by them with the Holy Spirit and some kind of prayer of blessing, guess what? God's going to give it to you if you ask. Amen? Listen to this, and I close. One of my favorite uh, scholars is Dr. John MacArthur. Listen to what he says about these verses. Then we're through. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not an option for believers, but a mandate. No Christian can fulfill God's will for his life apart from being filled with the Spirit. If we do not obey this command, we cannot obey any other simply because we cannot do any of God's will apart from God's Spirit. Well, that's good, isn't it? Listen to this. Outside of the command for unbelievers to trust Christ for salvation, there is no more practical and necessary command in Scripture than the one for believers to be filled with the Spirit. Amen? Listen, I don't know if this is your first touch of the idea of being a contagious Christian or an attractive Christian. I don't know when the last time was that you recognized that, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and that's what he's called us to do. But I'm telling you, if we're going to continue to be a contagious church in this community, in this world, it's not going to happen just because of Pastor Jeff and Pastor Paxton leading us from this platform. It's going to be because the men and women and teenagers and boys and girls of this church are living in such a way with such a spirit-filled faith that leads to all those other qualities, deep craving for the loss and all of that, that we are living in such a way that Jesus is living through us and people are attracted to him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today and for the reminder some very familiar passages of reminder of how we can live as men and women, as teenagers, as boys and girls, how we can live a spirit-filled faith that is full of all kinds of characteristics of the character of Jesus. All of the fruit of the Spirit and the humility and the cravings of His soul can live through us in the presence and power of Your Holy Spirit. God, we pray that You would do a contagious work in us, so that you can do a contagious work through us. God, we pray that people in our community would not have to read a book to know what a contagious church looks like, but they would see a body of believers that are living in such a way that people are attracted to Jesus. Father, we thank you for breaking us, for forgiving us, for helping us to change our mind about sin. God, we thank you for living through us in the consideration of the needs of others. God, renew in our hearts as we have a passion for your presence, a deep craving to reach the lost. Today we say amen to the prayer of our Savior, Lord Jesus, that you would send out laborers into your harvest field because it is white unto harvest. We thank you and praise you today. We love you today, God. As these altar couples uh, receive at the front for prayer and for ministry, God, I pray that uh, you would help those to step out who need to be prayed over. Father, as these altar couples move even now, I pray, God, that you would move in the hearts of our people this morning. As our pastor, as Paxton, lead us in a time of commitment. We pray that you would move, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.